Meet today's momentum sister. She's a trailblazer, a pioneer, a Jewish mom, and she's making a difference for herself, her family, her community, and the world. Want to know how she does it? This is the Pashmina Podcast, and here is our host, Adrian Gold Davis. Good morning, Cami. It's a pleasure to meet you. I've heard so much about you, wonderful things about you. And more importantly, I've read some of your emails. One of your uh, girlfriends sent me your incredibly funny and charismatic voice. I want to talk about that in a bit. But first, I, I want to make sure I'm saying your name properly. So it's Cami Verney. Yes, it was originally Vernikoff. Yeah. Uh, my father-in-law cut off the cough to sound less Jewish. He was in the boxing business. But um, I always say to him that the most famous Verney, V-E-R-N-E, is actually spelled Vern. Right. So can't we just put a Y on the end? Oh, right. So, so you come into the family and create havoc. <laughs> I create lots of havoc. We sound less Jewish, and then all my passions are Jewish causes. Oh, that's very <laughs> funny. Now, tell tell our listeners who you are, where you came from, what your background is, because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is because you have become, in many ways, a mistress of reinvention. This is a woman who was a criminal defense attorney for 10 years. I'm looking at you now. You can't see her, but she's like fabulous to look at. <laughs> Stiletto heels and a perfect pencil skirt and a great blouse. And she's just, And now blushing. And now blushing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but, but really and truly, from what I read in your emails... And from what I read about where you came from, there seems to be a disconnect. So I want to understand how it was that you reclaimed the cough at the last part of your married name. <laughs> and also, while you're at it, at some point, tell me a bit about the boxing business. I sure will. Okay. Um, well, I'll start by saying I barely recognize who I am either. If somebody would have told me my tenure, you know, ten years ago that I would not only would I not be practicing law, that um, my life would be completely devoted to Jewish causes and Jewish education, both for women who are mothers and for Jewish children, I would have laughed at them because I had no Judaism anywhere on my radar. I have two amazing parents. Um, we were what I would call high holiday Jews. But sure. even in that way, we were the worst high holiday Jews because we only went to children's services and we would only go for an hour. And well, um, at least you were there. I wasn't. So uh, I hear you. You're Jewier than me. Oh, see, okay. super Jew. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and looking back on that, it's actually amazing to me because my parents, my father is an extremely brilliant guy. He knows something about everything. He knows about art. He knows about opera. He knows about my mother was a history teacher. She knows about history. They're so they're cultured. Very cultured. Uh huh. And did what, they expect you to become a, a lawyer? Um, I think it was part of the, you know, their hope for me. My father's a lawyer, so we worked uh -huh. together, which was a really exciting time for us. But I think that this would, they would have never pre predicted either. Because not only were we barely practicing, my father was resentful of Judaism and resentful of religion in general. And resentful or just unaffiliated? Resentful. Really? I would say he, as a um, deep thinker, Sure. I think that he would focus on 
what a lot of people who are resistant to their Judaism say. You know, if there's a God, why would the Holocaust would happen? Right. And I can't see this person. And why do bad things happen to good people? Sure. And he would live in that headspace. So as I started learning, like a like a defense lawyer, like a defense, he lawyer. put God on trial. He sure did. Which, in some ways, is part of being very actively Jewish. In fact, your father's questions and putting God on trial is probably the most Jewish thing you can possibly be. Mm -hmm. Interesting, huh? So um, when I, um, I mean, I when I started learning, my parents were almost worried. Yeah. They were really worried. Okay, back up for one minute. What do you mean you started learning? Uh -huh. So we're going to cut through the shorthand here for a minute. You went to law school. You became a criminal defense attorney. You worked with your father. You were on that corporate track mm -hmm. and a grittier cor corporate track, from what I understand, working with drunk driving and so on. Yes. And also, you know, the corporate track meant money. And now... You volunteer, mm -hmm. and you're outside of that. You're in the not-for-profit spectrum, and you come from a place where this is anathema. So please help me understand the bridge from her to she. So I would like to say that I became you know, wanting to learn Judaism just on my own. But like many people, um, my husband and I, I married a guy uh -huh. who was in a family business and extremely successful. And The um, boxing business? Nope. He, they were in the furniture business. Okay. Who was the boxer? Boxer was my father-in-law. My father-in-law actually was dear friends with Joe Frazier and managed his kids. No way. <laughs> no way. Yes. Yes. So... Um, and I also like to joke that my father-in-law was also as Jewish as they can, but he used to wear an Italian horn. <laughs> oh, I wore for, one of those. They were called a figa. <laughs> we all, he's probably the same age as me. How old is he? Um, let's just say he, he acts like he's 40. Okay. Hey, I act like I'm 20. I know exactly that horn. We all wore it. It's very fashionable in the early 70s. Yes. So there you go. We bought it in Italy. Okay, go on. Sorry. So, um... Sadly, I, you know, I married, actually, I, um, you said like nothing was off limits, so I'll tell you the truth, but I married a guy where I signed a very thick prenup. So I thought in my life that money would never be an issue and that that was just one of the things that I would never have to worry about. Okay, shorthand. You married a really wealthy man. Yes. You were already a lawyer. Yes. You come from obviously a comfortable background. Yes. Your father is a lawyer, yes. but you're so you're saying even out of your league. Correct. Got and, it. And my my parents are, did very well too. So, but in my so in my mind, but this was like, and um, one day, literally overnight, the business closed, and I lost every single dollar. I shouldn't just say myself. I would say my husband and I. We lost every <sighs> single dollar. Oh my. Yes. So. <sighs> Okay, I'm going to let you take this where it goes because I have a million questions now and I'm sure our listeners do too, but you just take it. Sorry. So um, I think what happened after that, it was really, in the heat of it, it was a lot of stress and I was feeling very sorry for myself. Now, my, my parents, um, you know, these people who even I think that you pointed to it earlier. Yes, my father was acting actually more Jewish than yeah. by questioning. But my parents really came to my rescue and said, um, you will never be homeless. You will never go hungry. And we're not going to let anything bad happen to you. You know, my parents really came in and 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 made sure that nothing horrible was going to happen. And, and I think um, – so 
still, you know, it's very, very embarrassing, stressful time. Um, embarrassing? Embarrassing. Like I, I think like an embarrassing moment for me was while my parents were certainly making sure that I wasn't homeless, um, I was – you know, I wasn't exercising anymore because I couldn't afford to go to the gym and I started to gain weight and I need new bras. <laughs> and I remember having to call my mom and say, like, can you take me bra shopping? You know, it's embarrassing. Or even, you know, going to we, – we needed help. You know, we did. We needed we needed help. I don't – this is not a judgment on you, God forbid, but I just need to ask you, were you humble before or did you take your life for granted, do you think? Uh, good question. I would say um, – I would have thought of myself as humble, but in retrospect, probably not. Huh. And to go to the punchline, this was the best thing that ever happened to my husband and I. Not to skip ahead to the future. No, it's worth it. Go for it. <laughs> so um, during that time, a friend of mine called me and said she was going to hear a speaker. Uh -huh. And I, she said it was free, and there was free food and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go there too. I said, take me with you. <laughs> so I go, and you're going to know who I saw. It was Neely Cousins. Ah, dear Neely. Brilliant. <laughs> and in that moment, it was like she was speaking just to me. Huh. And Do you I, remember what the class was about? I remember the exact moment. Tell me. So she... Now, this is going to make me sound extremely narcissistic. That's good. We're all... <laughs> because that's the natural state of the human being until we work against it. Go ahead. So she said, God loves you so much... That if he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. <laughs> yeah, she does say that. I love that. And I didn't know that God. My God that I had been introduced to, I had a fast <laughs> on the Jewish holidays. Right. I was bored. Um, and I hated Hebrew school. And I was moved. I wrote her a letter. Really? And I, I wrote her a letter. And thank God for Neely, she got my letter and called me. And she said, I'd like to meet you for coffee. So I was nervous. I mean, she had she was such a dynamic speaker. I was it felt like I was meeting a celebrity. Oh man. And she insisted that I went to one of her classes. So I went to one of her classes in Ballot Kenwood, and this was not the kind of classes that I host in my house. It was mostly women who were Orthodox. Uh -huh. And I was like, these women are gonna laugh at me. I don't know the difference between Moses and Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> and not only did they not laugh. They were so warm and really encouraging me to learn and to ask questions. And um, and this happened as a result of the loss of the- um, 100%. You know that Leonard Cohen song that when things are broken, that crack is where the light gets in? That was us. Ah. And, and keep in mind, my husband and I, even though we're both fully Jewish, I actually, for Father's Day, I got my husband one of those DNA kits. He's 99.9% .9 Jewish. Oh, that's funny. I was fully convinced there there has to be. <laughs> uh, we had a Christmas tree because I was at Target, and I saw that there was Christmas or I mean, Christmas ornaments that were, you know, Jewish stars. Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, we're allowed to have Christmas now? A Hanukkah bush, I yes. think we called that. Yeah, yes. That's amazing. Yes. That's for us. So um, I knew nothing, you know, right? And... Um, I kept learning, and as I was learning, I was th thinking to myself, none of my friends know any of this. Huh. You know, this is this can't just be important to me. I know lots of people who could use this. And I wanted with Neely to start classes where I would invite my friends. Um, and even through this all, I mean, you know, so I'm going through this very tumultuous period with my husband. And every time we took a step forward, we took 100 steps back. 
and I was my friend. A hundred steps back, are you talking about the your relationship no. or the finances? No, actually the relationship, thank God, grew so much stronger during that struggle. And really, again, because my parents, because my mom and my dad had said to me, everyone's going to try to, my husband's name is Josh, uh -huh. everyone's going to try to knock him down. Everyone's going to tell him, you know, he's a loser. He lost the business. He's nothing. Your job every day is to tell him that he's a winner and you make that house happy. Oh my gosh. Your mother told you this? Yes. Okay. Could you repeat that? I want to get that clear out there because if people take away one thing, one thing from this, Dianu, that's mm -hmm. enough. Say it again. So my mother said to me and my father, everyone is going to call him a loser. He's thinking he's a loser. Everyone is going to tell him that he, you know, ruined this successful business, that, you know, there's nothing going for him. It's your job every day to blow up his balloon and tell him that you think that he is a winner. Oh my gosh. And you did. I did. And you meant it. For sure. Because we can fake it till we make it, but it doesn't really work till we mean it. Doesn't mean I wasn't scared to death. Sure. But I did mean it. My husband is very bright, very kind. And I knew he would eventually bounce back, but it's just kind of like, when? So we were, he was trying different things and things were failing and failing. It was just such a mess. And my friend was having a bingo at her synagogue that I had to go to. The bingo. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> and I was in the car on my way and I was crying. And it was probably the first conversation in my life I've had with God. And I said to God, I need a sign. I need a sign because I can't be strong enough. I need you to tell me, it doesn't have to be tomorrow, that it's going to work out. So I get to the bingo and they hand me these raffle tickets. And you go around the room and you put raffle tickets and different prizes. I won five prizes that night. Wow. So everyone kept on saying to me, did you cheat? How did you do it? And I said, between me and God. <laughs> so one of the things that I won, I'm just going to take off my earphones real fast, yeah. these, these earrings. And so I call, I've worn these every day since. And that was probably about eight years ago. And I say, these are my earrings from Hashem. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this is this is unbelievable. But you understand that there was something in your character. It may have been, and in some ways, learning law, becoming a lawyer, prepares you to have the kind of mind that can turn something over and over and look carefully to examine for where the positive is. I mean, that's what a defense attorney does anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So for you to be able to sustain your family, to take your parents' advice, to ask for signs, to recognize them as such, takes a certain mindset to begin with. What would your advice be for other women who are currently perhaps going through profound disappointments, whether it be financially or even emotionally? What would you recommend? What might have come naturally to you doesn't necessarily come naturally to others. There's many things. I think the first thing that was the biggest source of stress was the future. And when I broke things down, like nothing bad is happening today. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the other things um, that was life-changing for me was Shabbat. So really, that is how Shabbat entered my life. So because my husband and I couldn't know, we could no longer go out to dinner on a Saturday night. Huh. So I didn't want to not see friends anymore. So you started to host? I started to host. Oh, so Friday nights and Saturday lunches and that sort of thing? Not, not a Saturday lunch yet. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, when people, or even if I talk to women today about Shabbat, because now my Shabbats are big and they're crazy, and I said, it didn't start out this way. The first step was I would buy a challah uh -huh. and I would light candles. 
And your parents must have freaked out. I think they they were happier because I think I seemed to be less on edge. I seemed a little bit more hopeful. And I would really just light the candles. And I think um was it because you understood that the idea of taking 25 hours off of of our busyness, of being a human being instead of a human doing, was that going to be a place of comfort? Or were you hoping that the entire family could somehow embrace just being? I see how that would come in the future. However, when you don't know anything about Shabbat, I thought I was observing Shabbat right. by lighting candles just when it was dark out and by just having a holiday. Well, you are. You, it's not all or nothing, my friend. <laughs> but who suggested that to you? Was that something that Neely, your teacher, suggested? I'm sure it was somehow with Neely. Um, I think Neely, Neely was very good at saying, just take one baby step. Right. So the baby step was probably candles. But in that moment, there was magic in my house. Because there was literally bringing in light in this darkness. Huh. And so we would sit. And at that time, I had young kids. My kids are now 14 and 13. But that time, they were, you know, little, kindergarten and first. Sure. And we were bringing in light. And it felt so good. And it was something that I looked forward to every week. And how did your husband feel about that? I think he just was kind of like my parents. Like, I don't know how far this is going to go, but this feels nice. This feels okay. And um, And your kids? They were little. They loved it. I bet. Of course. They got yummy bread. Yeah. <laughs> they got candles. I don't know if they feel still feel that way, but <laughs> but that's okay. And so, and this really brought my parents over. And oh. my parents will now tell you their favorite time is Shabbat. Really? And so would my in-laws. So my in-laws, who are also, um, it, were not from this mindset by any stretch, my in-laws too love Shabbat. Love coming over. So it, the Jewish value of resting, of the Sabbath, was the first Jewish value you really attached yourself to, although I would I would argue and say that your parents gave you a profound Jewish value called Shalom Bayit, mm -hmm. peace in the home, by the advice they gave you to stand by your husband, to stand behind your husband, and to blow him up as a balloon, as you said. Yes. So you had a very Jewish support system behind you. I sure did. But you couldn't have named it as such. When were you able to start to see that some of the greatness that you were given had in its root wisdom from the Torah? I would say the more classes that I took, and I would say that I was able to very freely ask Neely questions mm -hmm. um, that might have embarrassed me. And one example that I give with that was, um, so I would ho start hosting these classes, and it was the night before Sukkot. Mm -hmm. And there was a woman in my class who was from Atlanta, and she had a great Southern accent. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and said, Cammy, you have to get a sukkah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, I'll just do it next year. I'll just do it next year. She's like, Cammy, get a sukkah. So Neely had said to me, all you need is a lulav and an etrog. I don't know what either is. I Google both. And I go to this store. I walked in, and everyone's buying their stuff. And I walk out. Too embarrassed. Yeah. I'm not used to – I don't like – who likes to feel dumb? <laughs> Nobody. So I was in the car about to leave, and I said, Neely, I'm just going to do it next year. Please just leave me alone. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Should you wait right there? She comes flying over. Uh-huh. She gets a Lulub. She gets an Etrog. 
And for our listeners who don't know what that is, a lulav is the species that we, during Sukkot, we draw together these um, these multiple species of a plant, and there's a hadas, which is a willow branch, and there's there's the spine of it, and there's this large citron-like, um, large lemon-looking thing that's called an etrog. And you gather these species together, and you do certain things with them. It's um, it's quite beautiful, but, you know, I didn't know what it was growing up either. And I have to say, Sukkot is my favorite. What do you love best about Sukkot? We we eat outside in a hut. <laughs> we are open to the stars. Why did that speak to you? Because I got to tell you something. When you started to tell me about what happened and fear of being homeless, the first Jewish thought that came to my mind is there is a certain joy in vulnerability in knowing that, what did she say in uh, Me and Bobby McGee? Remember Janis mm-hmm. Joplin, freedom's just another mm-hmm. word for nothing left to lose. <laughs> right? You sit in a sukkah and the sky is open. You can see the stars. There's a sense of impermanence and vulnerability, which is truly reality. I think in general... All of it gave that to me. So huh. what Shabbat gave to me was I have everything. I have my children. I have my parents. I have my husband's parents. My brother and his wife and I are close. My uh, my husband has two sisters. We're close. I have everything. And so if you ask if I was humble before, I guess so. But I had never I, – I had lots of cleaning help. I went from a lot of cleaning help to zero cleaning help. So I think, as, of course, I was I was thought I was humble, but I really didn't know exactly what that meant or exactly what what it would mean for someone to go through financial stress. And so, and we're all going. You never know when you meet somebody what they're going through. You know, I had my heart heartache with financial stress. Somebody could go going through an illness, sure. a divorce, whatever it is. But these things that just really boil it down to our essence, just ha- our candle lighting, and now I make my own holiday. I don't buy my own holiday anymore. Whoa. Super <laughs> big leagues, Super chill. <laughs> and I think um, what am I most passionate about is finding women who were me because Neely was relentless in terms of making sure that I – you know, was learning Torah, and then when she asked me to go on the JWRP trip, the momentum trip, I said, "No way! I don't. I can't leave my kids." I gave her every excuse. Right? She was like crazed like, to make <laughs> sure I went on that trip. And thank that trip was life changing. But I would say what I'm passionate about as well is finding that me, someone who's going through a hard time, where so uh, many of these values can really light them up. So now Neely is, as you know, she's living in Israel. I have a teacher. Her name's Ruthie Lynn. She's teaching parenting and 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 real um, things that unite us. And the- how do you get your friends who were you once to open their heart to that? I mean, you said in one of your emails, and I loved it, we were robbed. <laughs> we were robbed. Speak to me about that a minute. So that's the thing is that the hardest thing about outreach is you're telling somebody that they want something so badly that's nowhere on their radar. Uh-huh. And that they have no idea that they want. And it, how obnoxious is it for me to say, I know what you want? <laughs> because someone could say to me, well, I'm getting all that. I'm taking yoga classes. I am meditating. I'm doing all these things. But I find once you get women there, I see it. I uh-huh. see that light turn on. You know? Well, there are many, many paths to wisdom, obviously. But for a Jewish soul, the one that's going to be the ecosystem, if you will, the natural habitat for the Jewish soul is going to be the land of Israel and it's going to be the Torah. 
So my story from when I went on this momentum trip, um, the trip that I went on, when we landed, there was the boys that were hitchhiking that were found dead. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? So the day we landed. Do you mean Rachele Frankel's son? And Oh, my. So the day that we landed, we found out that they had died. I get a call from my mother and my mother-in-law, come home. It's in the press at home. It's not safe. You should come home. I started getting nervous, right? I'm really nervous. They, you know, there was this tragedy that occurred. So I- um, This is 2014, I think. I think so. Yeah. 13, 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. 14. Um, so I went over to a soldier and I said, I'm a mom. Should, am I safe to be here? <gasps> you did? Mm-hmm. Where but, were you when you did this? We were at Dex. <laughs> also in Tiberias. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I went over to the soldier. I said, you know, am I safe to be here? And this looked like adorable guy, like out of a movie. He said... Um, I want you to do the accent because I can tell you can do accents. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> I'll try to hey, do it. He said, hey, you yeah. enjoy Israel. We will lay down our lives. For you to enjoy Israel. Oh, oh. I said, hang on one second. Now, if you're not, if you don't know Philadelphia, you might not get this, but I said, I have to call my husband because you're willing to die for me and he won't go to Wawa for me. <laughs> hey, what <laughs> so, is that, a grocery so store? Wawa is like our 7 Eleven. Oh, that's so or, funny. And I really did. I put them on the phone together. Oh, you are tremendous. <laughs> so, so, um, and when I was on that trip, uh-huh. I came home. And I think that one of the things that I most appreciated about the trip is that I came home and I was prepared that I was very moved. But my husband, my parents, my in-laws, my kids, my sister-in-laws, they didn't go on that trip. So I'm fired up. I can't shove it down their throat. That's for sure. And that's true of any experience, of course. Right. So I... But I was fired up. And I felt that I needed to make up for lost time for never having Israel on my radar. I mean, I never looked at anything in the news about Israel. I never cared about Israel. And my first step was I wanted to protect Israel in one way. So I participated in APAC. Uh-huh. I immediately started to chair a gala for them. Can you, for our listeners, explain APAC? So APAC, I'm actually not very good at explaining what APAC does, but from I have a good friend who was very passionate about that that's what we need. APAC is an, a bipartisan organization that helps Congress or, you know, see things about Israel in a bipartisan way Got to support it. Israel. I'm not okay. doing a great job explaining no, it, but... No, that's fine. That's perfect. Um, so that was one thing I became interested in. And the second thing is because I believe in education, um, and I had this hardship that happened to me, and and the, I'm going to just go on a tangent for a little bit, Please. but the way the hardship reversed itself, really, um, is that my husband and I get a call. We had started a new business, and the business was not making any money, and the business was, was very stressful. We get a call from a company in the UK mm-hmm. that wanted to buy us. And um, they wanted to buy us for really our data, not even the idea. And from the time that the call was made, we thought it was a joke. And 45 days later, we were sold. And that had life-altering implications for us. And from that day, I wanted to very much- Wait a minute. So did you become within 45 days financially solvent? Yes. And even- Yes, yes. 
So were you restored to your former status? Yes. Yeah. So in less than two months, you went from zero to hero. Mm-hmm. Now, there was two years in between. Sure, sure. Um, but you were changed. I was changed. Because when that money came back, I would imagine that you saw it in a very different way. And I saw my, first of all, I mean, I know this is a lot for people who, who aren't in their Judaism, but I saw God's hand in it. And I also saw my obligation with it and my relationship with money totally changed. Because when you start to think differently, completely differently, then it's not, oh, my husband and I are so great. You know, yeah. we, it is we put in our effort and we had some divine help. You know, there is a, a statement from our sources that says, um, that there, it's not commiserate effort and, and outcome. It's not incumbent on us to complete a task, but we're not free to not begin it. But where there's much effort, there's much spiritual reward. So you find results. You don't see results as a result of your efforts. You find them. And you found, God helped you find beautiful results. And with that, my husband and I decided that I would devote my life to philanthropy. Oh, my goodness. This was a collective decision. Yes. So you quit the law at that point. Well, I was actually working. I had quit the law earlier. Um, you know, I married the guy with the big prenup. <laughs> what do Are I need all that stress me? for? So you stopped working when you got married. Yes. So you, oh, my goodness. Yes. So you probably didn't keep up your law license or anything? I, I did for many years until actually recently because the only people I were representing was uh, my hairdresser and manicurist who got <laughs> parking tickets or speeding tickets. Oh, my God, Kevin, you're fabulous. <laughs> I said, this is, this is uh, actually costing me a lot more. <laughs> I, love, I, mean. I love how transparent <laughs> you are, but anyway, how human oh, you are. I, thank you. But I gave that up, and um, and I was so my husband and I started this business together in my basement, uh -huh. and I was literally just cheap labor because I'm not wasn't qualified to do what we were doing. But when this all happened, we decided that I would be the philanthropy arm in our life, and um, and and really to come from a history of philanthropy, your parents or his parents? I would say um, yes. I would say. Not no again. Nothing was ever Jewish philanthropy. So so, but was there an understanding of the principle of tzedakah that ten percent of your after-tax dollars doesn't belong to you? Had you ever learned that? No, no. But I would say my father's a cancer survivor, so he was always very kind, um, uh -huh. and generous in giving back to um, anybody who needed anything with cancer. And I could say even you know what I would work. Uh, with my father, and I would go into a courthouse, I can't, countless people would come over to me and say, your father gave me free legal advice. Countless. Oh. So he has it in him. And my- Your father's a big Jew. I'm sorry. For sure, he is. Don't <laughs> nice tell try, him Dad. that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and same in my mother. Um, and my in-laws uh, are big softies. So like I had definitely, and now that I'm in philanthropy, they will say like every time I call- Every both sides of our my parents. What do you want? Exactly, <laughs> and and we have. I think we. I saw this on one of the. Um, I saw we were going to bring this up too. Is that uh, my sister in law, who I'm very very close to, has a daughter with special needs, uh -huh. and that has also impacted our family. Okay, so hold on. 
So essentially what you're saying to me is that the change in direction of your life in some ways was the result of tremendous financial loss, which shook the foundations of what you thought life was supposed to be or going to be. Mm-hmm. That cracked. And then the challenge of a special needs child within the family. So all of the good that has you sitting here came from what appeared to be not so good? For sure. Okay, tell me about your 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 niece. I have the most beautiful niece, Ava. She's 15, and um, she has physical challenges. Um, but anybody who spends any time with my niece, like, there's some the most beautiful soul. Hmm. Um, and I, my sister-in-law would even say that like she has made the ripple effect of having a child with special needs has made us all less judgmental, has made everybody more compassionate. For sure, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, their children, and my sister-in-law lives in North Jersey, so I don't get to spend as much time with her as I would like to, even though we're very close. So for sure, one of the things that was very important to my husband is that we got involved with something with special needs. Here, there's an organization called Friendship Circle. Oh, I know. Friendship Circle is spectacular. Spectacular. And we- Tell our listeners essentially uh, what it is. It is so beautiful. So what the premise is, is that everybody needs a friend. And they match up a teen, like my kids, to a child with special needs or a sibling of a child with special needs. And the mommy can, or daddy, can drop off their family, their kids. It's respite. Yes. Would you recommend this as a way of creating humility and empathy in children to to have them become part of a friendship circle? 1,000%. I think that when you are able to have a connection, a friendship with somebody who might not talk like you, might not look like you, might not act like you, they thrive. And they do have genuine friendships. My kids enjoy going. All the kids that go enjoy going. And um, I think one of the things that affected me with my sister-in-law, we all go down the Jersey Shore together, right? We're Philly kids. Like, we all go down the Jersey Shore together. And my kids and my the cousins, they all adore Ava. They love her. And one day, they were all playing in the kitchen, and all of the kids got up. They're good kids, but they left Ava to go play something else. And Ava was something just that there. she couldn't play. Correct. And my sister-in-law said, even though she might not respond, can you just ask her if she wants to go? Because we don't know what she feels. We have no way of knowing if she was hurt. And I think it identifies that she is a human being. She is a person that you don't want to just leave on a kitchen floor. A soul. A soul. And she's a beautiful Jewish soul. And I think that's what Friendship Circle really helps to do. Wow. So wow, that's a beautiful story. How do you think we can practice more inclusivity in our day-to-day lives? Because, you know, Ava has clearly has literally has special needs, but every human being has a place where they're left on the kitchen floor. For sure. And that's such I think loneliness is one of the hardest things to swallow. When you feel alone in this world, that's a really really tough emotion. And she, in general, I think there's a lot of times when I'm at synagogue or I'm at a play or I'm in the supermarket, I don't really see people with special needs. So if you don't have somebody in your family, it's really easy to think that it's a problem that doesn't exist. And I think some of it is because people don't feel comfortable bringing their child with special needs to the theater. 
Uh-huh. They don't feel comfortable bringing their child with special needs to the synagogue because they don't want to be disruptive. Coming from a great place, they don't want to be disruptive. They, you know, don't want you know to interrupt interfere with anybody else's enjoyment of something special. Cami, have you ever learned there was a great rabbi in the last century who used to stand up when a child with severe, profound special needs would come into the room? He would argue that a person who came into the world with very little capacity to be productive, was a soul that had been incarnated so many times that it was so close to perfection that the only thing it needed was to learn to take. And so he would stand up as though he was in the presence of a king or queen because that kind of soul is so elevated. It's funny you should say that. I had learned that. So I called my sister-in-law and I was very nervous to tell her that because I was so scared she would look at me and say, you know what, that's really, that's really not sensitive. And she said, I know that's true. When you are around Ava, you are around somebody who's magic. When that child smiles smiles at you, you get chills down your body. She is incredible. I find it fascinating that you cracked open and exploded your soul in the two areas in life that most people use as artificial barriers against depth. One is the physical world and finances, and the other is the intellectual cerebral world, where we think something that isn't smart in the conventional way or something that isn't wealthy around physical things diminishes a person, whereas you have learned that the opposite is true. And that's another thing I want. I have so many friends that I love so much. And I want to, I don't want them to learn a lesson the hard way. Uh, I learned it the hard way. I want to, you know, I, I mean, I've had very, very, a lot of teachers say to me, you know, you don't appreciate how much you like to breathe until you have a cold. Right. Until that is taken away from you, where you can't, when you have a cold, you can't do that very well. And all of a sudden, when it's restored, you actually appreciate it. And it goes away very, very fast. You know, where then all of a sudden we're back to our breathing and, and we forget. Right. But I don't I don't want, you know, that sometimes we are forced to look up. Mm-hmm. And I was forced to look up. And I am lucky to say that I brought my family with me oh, because family. it when I see my parents, my in-laws, my sister-in-laws enjoying a Shabbat dinner with me, there's not enough money in the world that can duplicate that feeling. So essentially what's happened for you is that you have become like a giver on steroids and you want to give other women the gift of Jewish spiritual wisdom so that they too can become givers, so that they too can be as happy and as clear as you are now. I'm convinced it's the key to happiness because I think that Many, many blessings have come from philanthropy. I would say first, I'm surrounded in such good company. Hmm. When I am involved in these organizations, and 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 I maybe am involved in too many at this point, I nah, gotta slow it down. All boats rise, girlfriend. <laughs> but I would definitely say I'm in amazing company. I'm meeting fantastic people, huh. and um, and so I'm trying to you know keep it to causes in Israel. 
I have. Do you have a dream cause in Israel? I'm involved in an organization called Ofanim. Tell me about them. Ofanim goes to Israel's periphery uh-huh. in these school buses that they um, equipped with the most high tech things and teachers from the Technion and find kids who wouldn't have access to STEM education. And why STEM education it's is? Um, tech education. Ah. Um, and finding our future engineers in Israel. Uh-huh. And why that appeals to me is because I feel that I had somebody reach out to me and pull me in. And I like the concept of reaching out to those who we might have forgotten and help pull them in. Oh, my. So that's one way. And I would say I definitely am inspired by seeing other women become inspired. You know, I'm curious to know, since you had that time in your life where you really had to address what life was truly about, today can you tell me what your legacy will be, what you would like your legacy to be? I think like any mother— starts off with my kids. If my children can go on and and have Judaism fill their homes when they have their own homes and be philanthropic and be grounded and find happiness in lighting Shabbat candles or the joy of a sukkah, then I've really done a good job. Wow. And I would say second to that, I think um, I would like to continue with my teacher who's here, Ruthie Lynn, having classes in my home. And really every day, because I'm doing philanthropy, things come to me all the time where I want to be able to help other women in any way that I can really have this joy that's ours. That Cami, I think you could teach. <laughs> I Has anyone that. mentioned that to you before? Well, sadly, I am very much a student and like a first grader. And when it comes to, I'm still very much learning. Well, maybe you're not going to sit down and open a Tanakh and, (laughs) you know, go through the lines, but you have what to share. In fact, the things that you have said today, the things that our, our listeners are listening to are some of the world's most important messages, life's most important messages, and certainly They're the story of the Jewish people. You know that expression, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we're (laughs) seeds? No, I don't know that. It's beautiful. It's a good one. Because sometimes we push down and we feel like we're rotting and the new growth comes up. And you, you've grown where you were planted. And you have a lot to share with the world. I want you to give me three, give our listeners three powerful takeaways about Jewish, that that stem from Jewish values and your life experience that they can move into their day thinking about. I would say what you had said before about Shalom Bayit, um, even though it sounds like a terrible, in unjust uh, burden for us. You know, we're the women, we're the battery pack of the house. So you could say, why do I have to be the battery pack of the house? It's so much for me. But when you put yourself in that role, it's not a burden. It's incredible power. It's incredible mm. strength. Mm. And through that strength, making my home a place where there's spirituality, where there's love, where there's Shabbat, where there's Jewish values, responsibility of to, to leave this place better than how we found it. 
that really does trickle down to everybody. And it is a lot. It is a heavy burden. But I have found that all areas of my life, my marriage, with my relationship with my children, the relationship with my outside family, my relationship with my community, all of those things have improved so much. So we can stand on ceremony and say, well, that's kind of sounds chauvinistic. Why do I have to be the one to do that? It's really not. It's empowering. We mm-hmm. are so powerful. Beautiful. Um, as far as another lesson is that I think take a chance. Take a chance to go on a trip. Take a chance to take a class. And while yoga and meditation, I'm not knocking that. I like to do both things. Mm-hmm. They're They're wonderful. They're wonderful things for you to do. But they're not, as you say, seeds. They're not these deep-rooted seeds that really take hold. And now in almost every situation, and even for my husband, my husband was in a situation where he had to fire someone that he really, really liked. And um, we didn't know what to do because he really liked this person. So we called a rabbi, which was foreign to my husband, right? Totally foreign. And the rabbi gave very good advice. And the first thing he said was talk about, well, the Torah talks about severance. Like, who knew, knows it? <laughs> and then he said, can you fire him but still give him his dignity? And that takes a totally different conversation. So now you're really coming using these Torah skills as an intellect. What do you do to give someone their dignity when you fire them? And even in that discussion, even there's no real good answer to that discussion, but that discussion changed his entire way that he would fire him because on the one hand, we want to say, well, you know this is happening because you did this. And to refrain from that is such strength. So I would say lean on Jewish leaders, Jewish teachers that you like. Find If you don't know anyone, find someone. I find, even through my synagogue, There's people who want to talk to you, actually. People want to help. Sometimes they just can't find the people. And that's why this outreach is hard. And so beautiful. I think, I first of all want to thank you for coming and joining me today. I think that the impact of your transparency, your honesty, your vulnerability, and the bravery inherent in that is going to change a lot of lives. Hmm. I think this last 45 minutes or so is going to be life-changing for people listening. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you and tell you how proud I am to be your Momentum sister (laughs) and how delighted I am to meet you. And that I hope you will continue to see, to notice the blessings that abound around you and that you're one of them too. Wow. Thank you so much. I could cry. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you for joining the Pashmina Podcast. When women empower one another, we ignite a force that can change the world. Unlock your power today. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a Momentum Podcast. For unlimited inspiration, wisdom, and empowerment, visit MomentumUnlimited.org.